on Young Nostalgia. We're broadcasting live. And that's about it. Let's take a look. so much for joining us again for another week of Young Nostalgia. Episode 76 is coming to you, and it's kind of talking about uh, continuing our, 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 oh God, I am messing up so bad. <laughs> Episode 76 of Young Nostalgia, thank you so much for tuning in. We're continuing our October miniseries of radio. We're going to be talking about uh, kind of a round... Um, nice rounded edge summary of the golden age of radio and then also start with our first radio drama and kind of where they became as well as some of the, one of the most popular ones that was actually made into a popular television show named Gunsmoke. I'm Nolan as always Ben is beside me and where have we not podcasted from at this point? Ben how you doing today big guy? <laughs> oh I'm doing pretty good you know uh it might shock me they might not believe us but uh, believe it or not, we are actually recording this show nearly a full week in advance for a change. Whoa. Okay. You know what? You always give me shit for calling us out. And now what? you call this out. Okay. Well, I think you're, it's, you're, you're. it's, I think sometimes it's a little obvious that we'll record okay. a show like immediately before it's supposed to <laughs> release. And I'm just letting everybody know that we had plenty of time on this one. Right. We just need a little bit of a pat on the back. All right. Please give us, you know what? This is a great cause and why you should give us a review because we have, (laughs) we have been so consistent over the past three months with releasing these shows. We deserve at least five, five star reviews with comments on why we're so awesome and why you keep on coming back every week. So you can find us on your favorite podcast app, minimum. You can find us on your favorite podcast app and email us at youngnostalgiapod at gmail.com and let us know what you like and what you want to keep on hearing. You guys rock. Tom Giorgio, we want to give you a shout out for two weeks in a row because Ben said that you appreciate it. So you are the man. We love you (laughs) dearly. You guys rock. As always. Get a room. It's good to be back. (laughs) Have you ever met the guy? Blind date. (laughs) I respect him. He's great. <laughs> Practically like a brother. Uh, hopefully your week's been going okay. I am actually going to be heading out to New York City here shortly, and I don't even know how to handle myself. I have never been in a city environment like that. I guess I've been in Chicago, so, but not necessarily a place like New York. So I don't know. I My plan is to just trim my dialogue to, I'm walking here. And forget about it. And then that's all I'm going to say to everybody. And they're going to be like, they're going to be like, you know, like, you know, pepperoni or cheese pizza for New York style cheese pizza. I'm going to be like, forget about it. I'm walking here. I feel like that's a good way to get beat up. (laughs) (laughs) Nolan, what'd you do in New York City? I got, got my booty rocked like (laughs) Nolan where'd you get that black eye (laughs) (laughs) oh good story about how I gave somebody a black eye you should see the other guy I know yeah right (laughs) I love it all right anything else that you want to talk about I know I kind of took the took the whole beginning thing just kind of no 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 it's fine it's fine no Oh, forget, fine. Forget about it. All right, we're going to move on. We're going to be talking about episode 76 about the golden age of radio, the beginning of radio dramas, and then gun smoke. Let's take a look. 
Back to your NBC special of Friends. All right, it's good to be back. Um, The old-time radio era, sometimes referred to as the golden age of radio, was an era of radio programming throughout the United States during which radio was kind of the dominant electronic home entertainment medium for people to get news as well as entertainment. Um, It began with the birth of commercial radio broadcasting in the early 1920s, which I'm almost positive we did a whole episode about the birth of radio. You guys should go check that out. Um, I know it was a while back, uh, probably last year sometime. Anyway. Um, and it lasted through the 1940s when television gradually su- superseded radio as a medium of choice for scripted programming, variety, as well as dramatic shows. Uh, radio was the first broadcast medium, and people regularly tuned in for their favorite shows and radio programs. And families gathered around to listen to the home radio in the evening. It was kind of like a uh, you know family ordeal to get around and keep up with their soap operas and their dramas. Um, It was kind of a big thing. Uh, As well as a product of the time was advertisement back in the day. Um, Advertisements was, I'm pretty sure they were like pretty much done live with the show Um, and then sometimes pre-recorded and then dropped in. But I do believe that a lot of them were kind of done live at the point, weren't they? I think. Yeah, I think think there was a a much larger amount of live readings back then as opposed to today, which, I mean, it's still pretty common in... uh, in the AM talk radio uh, scope, you know, there's still quite a bit of, they're not, I wouldn't really say they're not like commercial commercials, but they're live readings by the hosts kind of either before right. or after a uh, commercial break. But I think uh, back then there used to be a lot more. And I, I think it would actually, they were more network based rather than um, a, uh, like a, a separate production company, you know, wasn't doing the commercial and then they just, played over the air it was a uh, kind of cut to a different um i wouldn't say area but different uh recording booth where the commercial happened then it would cut back to the uh to the actual whatever show was going on right yeah that's kind of cool it's really cool um uh where are we at okay according to a 1947 uh C.E. Hooper survey, 82 out of 100 Americans were found to be radio listeners. That's crazy. 82% of America were radio listeners. And I don't know what the other 18% were doing. They just lived under rocks. They they lived under rocks. (laughs) (laughs) They were the rocks. (laughs) A variety of new entertainment formats and genres were created for the new medium, and many of which were later migrated to the television um, a stage, actually. So there were radio plays, mystery serials, soap operas, quiz shows, talent shows, daytime and evening variety hours, situation comedies, play-by-play sports, children's news, as well as cooking shows. Cooking shows. It's interesting how they would bring cooking shows over the radio. Yeah. You'd almost have to describe exactly what you're doing. I am walking over <laughs> to the oven as I speak into this microphone and putting this into the oven. Oh, but wait. We already pre-baked it, so it's all good. Like, no, <laughs> you know, it's co- cooking shows is a good point. I was more hung up on talent shows as to how that would be, um, <laughs> how that would be done. You know, I, I'm sure there are some talents that are uh, that translate well into an audio-only format, but uh, I would imagine that there is a lot of commentary going on. Right. With it. Look at those eyes bulge out of his face. How does he do that? <laughs> you folks need to see this. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, there's someone balancing a bunch of plates on a stick, you know, the kind of classic talent <laughs> yeah. show stuff that you see. And, you know, right. the, the announcer just has to go nuts trying to, you know, hype up whatever, uh, you know, lame talent was being presented. <laughs> <laughs> lame talent. <laughs> All right. All right. What's up? What's up next, big guy? All right. So we'll kind of uh, take a few steps back and go a little bit more into the uh, origins of of radio uh, origins of the entertainment radio, I should say. Um, so the broadcasts of live drama, comedy, music, and news that were kind of the, that characterized the golden age of radio had a precedent in the theatrophone, um, commercially introduced in Paris in 1890 and available as late as 1932. Um, and it's it was designed to allow subscribers to eavesdrop on live stage performances and hear news reports by means of a network of telephone lines. Um, Interesting. And so the, the development of radio eliminated the wires and subscription charges from this concept. And then, of course, they would have to uh, uh, kind of the rise of the media commercials kind of what took over the uh, costs of, you know, the the allowed them to get away from actual subscriptions. So subscriptions in terms of like you're paying for your line to be connected to the audio of like some theater show or a broadcast of some sort. Right. Right. And so you kind of had people, uh, you kind of were able to force them into paying this description subscription. If you wanted them to, if you, if people wanted to listen, because you know, it's not like radio where you're just, pulling it out of the air and it was just broadcast and whoever could uh tune in could tune in you know this you actually had to have a line run to your uh house or building or apartment or whatever you were living in um and so you you kind of had a little bit better grip on uh being able to commercialize it it's kind of cool it is interesting i was not aware that that was ever a thing um and it's cool that it lasted that late, you know, all the way into 1932. Know. Right. You know, it seems right. Like- and then Netflix came along. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we're right back to subscriptions. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, you know, especially you'd think that uh, the birth of radio would kind of uh, eliminate that relatively quickly. Um, you know, you'd still have to wait for people to, you know, uh, major networks to expand and people to actually own home radios. Um you know, so there would still be a kind of a time delay in there while people kind of acclimated to the new uh, media format. But it still seems like it lasted a long time after, you know, radio was already starting to come about. Right. So, <clears throat> all right, continuing on a little bit, we have on Christmas Eve of 1906, Reginald Fessenden uh, is said to have broadcast the first radio program consisting of some violin music um, as well as reading passages from the Bible. Um, and there was... There was a, a lot of literature on this as to whether it actually happened or not. And the common consensus is that it did. And there's, I mean, all the way up into 2000s, there's been studies on, you know, whether this actually happened or not. And it's it's become less controversial that, you know, this broadcast, this first broadcast in 1906 actually happened. Um, but the question is now if it actually happened on Christmas Eve. And so there's quite a bit of back and forth by uh, scholars as to how authentic that information actually is, which I found pretty interesting. You know, something as trivial as, 
you know, the first ever radio broadcast and it's argued right. about that much. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, I don't know. Like I, it happened, you know, it happened. Right. You know, I just kind of got a chuckle about it. Um, uh, I, I mean, like I, I realize that it's significant, but I don't know. It seems like there's more important things to argue about. Well, you know, people do argue about conspiracy theories too. This so. is very true. Very <laughs> I'd true. rather them argue about this than, than us getting poisoned <laughs> by the United States government. Yeah, or lizard people or something. Lizard people. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was not until the Titanic catastrophe in 1912 that radio for mass communication really came into vogue, um, inspired first by the work of amateur ham radio operators. Uh Radio was especially important during World War One, as it was vital for air and naval operations, and that's that's relevant because World War One brought about a lot of developments in radio. Um, until then, it was really it was mostly single wave format, so you it was m- m- very similar to uh, telegraph communications, where you know you it was mostly Morse code being used. Um, and so you kind of had to, it wasn't as easy to just tune in and, and listen. Um, and there wasn't as much going on, uh, as there wasn't really anything going on entertainment wise other than just hobbyists on the airways. Um, right. So World War One brought about major developments in radio, uh, superseding the Morse code of the wireless telegraph with vocal communications of the wireless telephone, um, through advancements in vacuum tube technology and introduction of the tran, uh, the transceiver. So as we see all the time, um, you know, when something happened, like a world war one, world war two, we see huge leaps in technology around these times because there's right. I mean, the, there's always a demand for new technology, but something like a, such a massive war as world war one, world war two, you really, that's so important to the war drive is having the best technology, the best communications. Uh, it goes the same for, weaponry and medical um technology and everything it, there's always right. huge advances <clears throat> what was crazy about world war one too is just like the state of the world was so interesting that technology was almost too far advanced for us to even know how to use it at the time you know what i mean like mm-hmm. with the way that um chemical warfare was coming about you know people they were just using this without understanding its effects or the way it was supposed to be utilized or how it's supposed to be used or the best way to do it. Um, like, you know, even like the first concepts of tanks and obviously, you know, those didn't really exactly work very well, but technology was almost moving so fast that they weren't able to like fully harness what it could be. Right. It was crazy. Right. And, you know, kind of going along your, your initial example of the, uh, gas warfare and, um, Tanks and vehicle technology at the time. I mean, that's the technology outpaced the strategy and everyone, Uh you know, everyone's strategy in the war was, um, you know, the old school, really kind of close quarters oriented. And, you know, and then when now we have these uh, at this time, we had uh, miraculous improvements in small arms, uh, heavy arms, mobile technology. uh, I don't even know what to call that genre that tanks would <laughs> tanks would fall into, I guess. Um, right. And that goes the same for everything. There's there's so many things that are developed and they're not even fully utilized um, until later just because, you know, people don't get how people don't fully grasp at the time how useful this technology actually could be. 
Right. So after the war, because of all of these advancements, we were able to uh, wirelessly broadcast uh, human voice instead of telegraph transmissions. Um, after the war, numerous radio stations were born in the United States and set the standard for later, later radio programs. The first radio news program was broadcast on August 31st of 1920 on the station, excuse me, 8MK in Detroit. Um, 8MK was owned by the Detroit News, um, which started off basically just coverage for local election results. Um, this, And that kind of, as small as that kind of seems, is basically just covering election results and really local news at the time. It kind of paved the way um, for other new, small news networks to spring up uh, afterwards. So this was followed by or followed by uh, KDKA out of Pittsburgh in 1920, uh, which was the actual first commercial radio station in the United States. Um, several years later, the first regular entertainment programs were broadcast in 1922, and on March 10th, a Variety carried, uh, excuse me, on March 10th, Variety carried the front page headline, Radio Sweeping the Country, One Million Sets in Use, um, which is, I mean, that's pretty substantial, uh, you know, to, to make the claim a million sets in use, um, only two years after the first, uh, program broadcast in 1920 by 8MK. Right. That's crazy. Um, so just kind of a highlight of this time, uh, kind of showing how uh, the usefulness, not only, you know, there's entertainment, news, everything. Um, the highlight of this time was the first Rose Bowl being broadcast on January 1st of 1923 um, on the Los Angeles station KHJ. I love it. And you know, it's it's really cool. It's kind of with the one million sets in use, it kind of brings back this memory of uh, when we talked to Ian Punnett a little bit. Uh, he talked about how like, okay, podcasts, for example, but radio, really, what is the most basic line of communication that's so simple, so bare minimum? It's, vo- it's voice, you know, mm-hmm. it's your vocals. You can give so much information and so much like entertainment through your voice just your voice and it's crazy to see how much that has grown even to today but back then a million sets in use now you can hear anybody across the entire united states it's just absolutely insane it's crazy Mm -hmm. and i think it's really interesting that it took off and has been such an established medium because i don't think it'll ever go away no as long as we all have voices it'll always be here (laughs) Exactly. And especially, and it it shows how big of an impact just a voice medium can have when there are so many other options. Um, Television, streaming services, social media, just, uh, you know, YouTube, um, all of these different ways of getting entertainment, news, uh, sports, uh, and radio still has... A, a pretty solid hold on its section of the market. Right. Absolutely. I love it. It's good stuff. So uh, I'll just kind of skip forward a little bit. I'll uh, I'll hit the, 
you know, the major networks of the time and kind of wrap this up a little bit. And then you can start us off with uh, talking about some radio shows. So major networks of the time, uh, you know, a lot of people, especially uh, especially listeners that uh, are a little bit closer to Nolan and I's age might uh, recognize quite a few of these names and be able to kind of place them to their modern day counterparts. Uh, National Broadcasting Company or NBC uh, Red Network created by the Radio Corporation of America, um, RCA, was established in 1926. Um, NBC Blue Network launched in 1927, um, which is kind of interesting uh, RCA was forced to divest under antitrust laws and became the American broadcast company ABC in 1945. Um, That's cool. Yeah. That's kind of neat. <laughs> <laughs> it is kind of neat. Um, so it's kind of another, uh, you know, it's ABC is another uh, uh, common network today. Um, and it was actually uh, kind of forced be forced to form. Wow. I cannot even speak today. Forced to form. Uh, <laughs> out of antitrust laws at the time. Right. Um, right. We have the Columbia Broadcasting System, CBS, was established in 1927. Um, and lastly, the Mutual Broadcasting System in 1934. Uh, Mutual was initially run as a cooperative in which the flagship station owned the network, not the other way around, as was the case with the other big three. Uh, Mutual was purchased by Westwood One in 1985, and it was ultimately retired uh, in 1999. Interesting. Mm-hmm. That's cool. I always like looking back at like old radio pictures and you'll see like the old antique mics and they have like NBC or CBS going like, like an arch over the mic. It's kind of cool. Oh, awesome. Big giant chrome monstrosities. Of the right. Day, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you know, they didn't sound that bad, but I'm guessing that all the equipment was kind of to that quality. So no mm-hmm. matter what you're going to sound you can, well, I mean, <laughs> just take a just take a glance and listen to those old radio mystery theaters. <laughs> we all know how that went. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> for what it was, it was it sounded really good. You know, with uh, a lot smaller um, technology today, I mean, we can get a lot a lot better uh, audio quality in a lot smaller package too. I mean, the mics that we're right. using right now are similarly sized if not a little bit smaller than those mics that we were talking about, but there is a heck of a lot more packed into them. You know, we've got audio adjustment right. knobs and gain adjustment knobs and uh, different settings, <laughs> all Mutes. mute, all packed into the uh, microphone doing its own sound processing and compression. Condensing and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all in basically the same form factor as those same microphones that were just a straight, uh, receiver that has to be sent back for further processing right god it's crazy (laughs) that's so cool i love it all right uh moving on to uh a radio drama series known as gunsmoke that aired from april 26 1952 to june 18th of 1961 in the late 1980s cbs chairman william s paley or we gotta back up a little bit 1940 whoa what did i say 1980s Oh, whoops. I just just don't want to confuse anybody here. (laughs) In the late 1940s, CBS chairman William S. Paley, a fan of 
Philip Marlowe Radio Serial asked his programming uh, chief, Hubble Robinson, to develop a hard-boiled Western series, a show about a Philip Marlowe of the Old West. Robinson instructed his West Coast CBS Vice President Harry Ackerman, Ackerman, sorry, uh, <laughs> who had developed the Philip Marlowe series to take on the task. And Ackerman and his co- oh yeah, what's I was, up? I was yeah. just gonna say before you move on a little bit here, just a, a little bit of backstory that I failed to put into the show notes. Um, the Philip Marlowe serial, uh, as we'll kind of get to a little bit here here in a minute on the Gunsmoke series, it was kind of a it was a little bit different for its time. It was kind of a more adult-oriented radio show, not in a you know inappropriate sense, but more of a. It was just a little bit darker, and the the good guys didn't always win. Um, okay, a little bit more. There was less less humor involved, a little bit drier, just more serious in general. Um, okay, and that's why this is uh this is relevant because that's kind of what the initial idea of gunsmoke was going to be as well right like to be a little bit more of mature of mind to wrap your head around the storyline and right certain character interactions and stuff like that okay. exactly um oh i love it man thanks for telling us about that that you're very welcome so, that means so much to me well it really does you know i try i really try <laughs> <laughs> Ackerman and his scriptwriters, uh, Mort Fine and David Friedkin, uh, created an audition script called Mark Dylan Goes to Gaujai, based on one of their Michael Shane radio scripts, The Case of the Crook of the Crooked Wheel from the summer of nineteen forty eight. Two versions were recorded. Um, the first, recorded back in June of 1949, was very much like a hard-boiled detective series and starred Michael Rye, credited as, credited as Rye Billsbury as Dylan. And the second, recorded in July of 1949, a month later, starred straight arrow actor Howard Culver in a more western, lighter version of that same script. So they kind of had two different sides of... Uh, takes on it in terms of a little bit darker more of like a detective noir ish style and the other one was kind of a western um type of uh style as well a little bit more cbs right upbeat um cbs liked the culver version better and ackerman was told to proceed with that kind of style um a complication arose, though, as Culver's contract the star, as the star of Straight Arrow would not allow him to do any other Western series at the time. The project was shelved for three years when producer Norman MacDonald and writer John Meston discovered it while creating an adult Western series of their own. So kind of back in the day, CBS was like, let's do our own uh, thing and then reached out to Culver for the star uh, spot, but unfortunately he couldn't. So then St- Culver was just kind of put on shelf, and the whole thing was kind of forgotten about. Later resurfaced as they were looking at doing another Western series. The project was, um, uh, sorry. Uh, McDonald and Meston wanted to create a radio western for adults in contrast to the prevailing juvenile fare such as the Lone Ranger and the Cisco Kid. Gunsmoke was then born in Dodge City, Kansas during the thriving uh, cattle days of 1870s. Uh, Dunning notes that the show drew critical acclaim for unprecedented realism of the time and kind of how life could be crappy 
and so will our main protagonist. <laughs> we'll have crappy times as well. So that was kind of cool, and then that's that's the start of it. And that and that's kind of kind of what he talked what we talked about or what you talked about. Sorry, um, was the contrast of the Lone Ranger and the Cisco Kid. These were kind of the other popular Western at the times. And like we talked about a little bit ago, this is where everything worked out great in the end. Um, the bad guys were always caught. Nobody got hurt. Um, as, and that's was the contrast that kind of, that was the attraction of Gunsmoke is that it was more serious and it, it tried to paint the, paint the picture of the actual old west rather than an idealized uh version right i love it that's awesome (laughs) (laughs) oh wait 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 wait, wait. am i I supposed to am i supposed to keep on going i I was expecting you to but i'm like wait oh no it's my turn my bad oh shoot no my beat we're good my beat we're good here we go here we go here we go (laughs) we might as well just start the whole thing over scrap it it. sucks yeah we'll edit it out we'll edit that out (laughs) yeah Uh, (laughs) distinction from other radio westerns kind of where we were going a minute ago gunsmoke was often a more somber program especially in its early years episodes were aimed at adults and features some of the most explicit content of their time, including violent crimes, scalpings, massacres, and often uh, depicted opium addicts. Uh, Many episodes ended on a very somber note, and villains often got away with their crimes. Um, So, on the other side of this, uh, you know, there was, uh, you know, due to the subtle scripts and outstanding ensemble of casts, over the years the program kind of transitioned into a warm, often humorous celebration of human nature. Um, despite Gunsmoke's realism in some areas, the show also took a few liberties here and there um, in terms of accuracy. The program was set after the arrival of the railroad in Dodge City, 1862, um, and Kansas had been a state since 1861, not really uh, coinciding at all with um, any real-world dates. Um, uh, another big one on the list was a U.S. marshal, um, actually a deputy marshal, only the senior officer in the district holds the title marshal, would not actually be based in Dodge City and would not be involved at all in local law enforcement. Um <laughs> which is kind of a well, kind of a big plot hole there. Um, right. Any peace officer then and now also would not approach any armed individual with his sidearm still holstered um, and give the suspect a chance to draw. So, you know, anyone who's familiar with either the radio show show or the later television uh, transition uh, would know that, you know, Marshal Matt Dillon, you know, the, the standoff out in the street, um, you know, that anything like that really wouldn't have, wouldn't have happened. Okay. I mean, I'm, but that's kind of cool. That's always been kind of the romanticized version of, you know, Western stuff. And I'm, it, I mean, it had to start somewhere. I'm sure it happened, but I don't 
there's no way that that was happening with actual law enforcement individuals. You know, that's that's not their job is to be flashy about that kind of stuff. Their job's to stop the bad guy. Right, right. And obviously, like, even going back to kind of the whole U.S. Marshal thing, you know, like, kind of back in the day, you hear U.S. Marshal and they're like, oh, you know, they're one of the top dogs in law enforcement. It's a pretty big deal. Obviously, like, that, that's going to have a lot bigger sway in terms of, like, a plot line and a character development than a... Uh, you know, county sheriff or something like that. Right. It it makes sense as far as, like you said, plot development goes in a radio program or television program, like right. I said. Um, but, you know, in actuality, you know, a U.S. Marshal, A, is not going to have time to be bothered with trivial stuff in a small town. <laughs> and B, he's not going to live in said small town and be you know, based <laughs> out of that, out of that same area. It, Kind right. of a little bit unrealistic on that note. But, you know, like like we were talking about, it's as realistic as they tried to be. They still had to, you still have to make it entertaining or else no one's going to listen. Um, right. So you have yeah. to find ways to, to draw people in. <clears throat> so moving on a little bit more. Apart from the doleful tone, Gunsmoke was distinct from other radio westerns as the dialogue was often slow and halting. Um, and due to the outstanding sound effects, listeners had a nearly palpable sense of the prairie where the show was set. Uh, the effect- they actually recorded outside at the prairie. Well, they actually time warped back to the 1870s to do the recordings. <laughs> um, yes. And then, you know, got in their time machine and came back. So it was really the first ever uh, reality show. Right. Where we're going, Marty. <laughs> You don't need no damn mics. <laughs> that went off track real fast. Uh, so, all right, talking about the the outstanding sound effects of the show, the effects were nearly were subtle but multi layered, giving the show a very spacious feel. Um, and that was that was something that that Gunsmoke was really known for at the time is the the huge. Uh, sound effect library that they use to to make this show i guess library would not be a good uh a good term since since most of it's going to be um pretty live action at this point in time right but um you know there because all you have all you have is that voice that audio uh aspect to the show you have to you have to work extra hard to paint that mental picture with um, with the audience, you know, you're, they're not watching what's going on on the screen that you have to em- overemphasize every single aspect of what's going on so that it keeps the audience engaged. Right. I want to know kind of what the production and post-production look like. Cause I can't even imagine how often they are cranking out these babies, you know, and to be able <laughs> to be fully enveloped with like a perfect take is hardly rare. I'm well, I'm like, sorry, is has to be rare. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, it's it's crazy. I don't I don't know I don't know how, what the the time frame on Gunsmoke actually was. I think I, I you know I don't I didn't live in you know the golden age of radio, <laughs> so I, I don't I don't really know. Um, I think it was very common for weekly shows. Okay. Um, and so I guess you'd have 
you know, a week or you'd probably have a few days at, at the least to be able to put together a show. Um, mm-hmm. And as like we talked, we, we talked about Radio Mystery Theater last week. Um, you know, they were pumping out a show every day, but a lot of times it wouldn't always be the same writer, too. True. Yeah, absolutely. So, you're right. You know, you'd have, you know, if you kind of rotate through writers, you, you're going to look at, you know, even if it was a daily type show, you'd have at least a few days to put something together and come up with sound effects and, and script it out. Okay. I'm with you. So kind of rounding out Gunsmoke a little bit. Uh, we talked We talked before. It was actually, uh, it was so popular that it was later adapted to television. Um, and just like the the pretty the pretty long time that it, that it ran on radio, 1952 all the way to 1961, um, the television series actually holds, uh, it still remains the longest running primetime live action series of the 20th century, running from September 10th of 1955 to March 31st of 1975. So both, uh, you know, extremely popular in both radio and television. I love it. Which is really cool to see that kind of span both mediums like that and be popular on both sides. So, I mean, we're not necessarily talking about like the television series, but I'm sure what helped it be so popular is its its success as radio, but also it stood out in terms of a Western series on television as well, Mm -hmm. in terms of its storytelling, maybe the somberness as well. So, yeah, it's kind of cool. And, and, you know, something like this too, I mean, it, it, it's... Not like a radio, or a, I'm sorry, not like a television show that's that's brand new and you have to make a name for yourself and get it out there. I mean, if you're adapting something from radio, moving to television, it's especially something as popular as Gunsmoke. You already have somewhat of a fan base, um, even if a lot of those people haven't moved to television as their primary form of uh, news and entertainment. You still have you still have your name out there, and there's still people who are going to trans- transition over with you. Um, and kind of give you a little bit of a head start when you make that that move. That's awesome. Yeah, I love it. That's cool. Woo. Actually, a thought to end it all. The television series remains the longest running primetime live action series of the 20th century. That's crazy. <laughs> did you already say that? I did. I talked about that oh. like five minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> is it weird because I've, I've just I've just been reading the Wikipedia just to read up on it because I thought it was kind of cool and on that note thank you so much for joining us here at Young Nostalgia you know, that was I, episode 76 of, uh, <laughs> what? I heard you like mad clicking in the background and I'm like oh he's looking you know, something up he's looking something up and I, <laughs> I absolutely I love you Ben I care about you you absolutely rock I listen to every single word you say sure. and I care about everything I see how it say. is I see how it is <laughs> thank you so much for tuning in this is episode 76 of Young Nostalgia about the golden age of radio as well as continuing our October mini series about radio dramas uh, today was Gunsmoke as always, if you like what you hear, you can give us a five-star review on every every way that you listen. Uh, just hit that five-star button, scroll down, take about 15 seconds, let us know what you really like about the show and what makes you keep on coming back. We are out there on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, wherever you get your favorite podcasts, we're there. Let us know what you think. You can also email us at youngnostalgiapod at gmail.com. 
for any future topics or if you have any anecdotes or would like to be a guest on with Ben and I, we would love to have you and pick your brain about anything that you want to talk to us about. Again, that's youngnostalgiapod at gmail.com. Ben, I think it's been absolutely fantastic. And uh, this is I just really want to give this to you and to everybody that listens. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so... <laughs> We love you. Ben, anything else, big guy? Uh, no, that was fun. I'm really digging the uh, the radio theme we got going on right now, which I believe the plans are to continue at for next week's show as well. Um, yeah, man, let's do it. Hope- the Shadow. I think we might talk about Shadow or something Ooh, like that. That would be a good one. Maybe, uh, yeah, we'll have to see. Uh, maybe we can cram two together and kind of get two out. If not, we can go really in-depth on a single show. That would be a lot of fun either way. I love it. I'm totally with you. You guys rock. I'm excited to also tell you about my whole New York City escapade and how I'm probably going to lose my wallet and keys and my soul. So you guys rock. You're 100% getting mugged. Oh, thanks, man. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? I love you too. You absolutely... Maybe I won't listen to you anymore. As we always say here on Young Nostalgia. Keep the bottles empty and the ashtrays full. We'll talk to you next week. Gosh dang it, man, you suck. (laughs) 